announcements that I'm aware of. Open your Bibles, please, to Isaiah 9. In Isaiah 9, we find an ancient prophecy that brings hope to every human heart. We find a poetic announcement of a great light for those in darkness, deep darkness. And it's a light that brings freedom from burdens and deliverance from oppression and a joy that cannot be lost. And let me just say, in in these days of increasing isolation and despair, my question is, how can we experience that light, the light of Isaiah 9? And the answer to that is what Christmas is all about. And so if you would, look with me in Isaiah 9, beginning in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the, tr- of the tramping warrior in the battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We'll pause there. Three things I pray that we... We take from from today's talk, one, a light, a light for those in deep darkness, two, a light for you, and three, a light for the nations. First, a light for those in darkness. I recently watched a documentary highlighting an, an archaeologist and her team digging away in Alexandria, Egypt. They were looking for that lost tomb of Alexander the Great. And so here they were, deep under the surface. The deeper they went, the further back in time they would go. And they eventually pulled out a fragment, just a fragment, to a vase. And from that fragment, the archaeologist could tell its story. And she rattled off all kinds of of details. From the date it was made, from where it came from, how it most likely got there. Today... We're looking at a fragment, just a fragment, a small portion of the book of Isaiah. But it's a portion that tells a grand story. And from it, we get a whole lot of details. Isaiah was a prophet of Israel who lived in Jerusalem in the 8th century B.C., 700 years before Christ. Primarily, he was bringing a message to that southern kingdom of Judah. And he brought an announcement of judgment and hope. It went a little like this. If you keep living in deep darkness, if you keep living in idolatry and rebellion and corruption and injustice and oppression, God is going to bring judgment through other nations. Specifically through Assyria and eventually Babylon. 
Where's the hope in that, you might wonder? He goes on to explain that God will, in spite of their rebellion, establish a faithful king in the line of David, as God had promised. That God would establish a faithful people to obey him, as he promised. And that Israel would be a blessing to the nations, as God promised to Abraham. But how? How would God do this? These times were really dark. Israel was not only with their actions, but in their experience, they were experiencing a deep darkness. Now listen, church, we all know how difficult it is to see how God could work in the midst of darkness. And whether that darkness is brought on by our own callous hearts towards the Lord or indifference to his ways, or because we're experiencing life in a broken world, regardless of how that darkness is brought on or experienced, when we're living in it, we're often consumed and overwhelmed by it. And yet, here's a fragment. Here's a fragment that we get to hold up and celebrate. Isaiah 9. And oftentimes this is celebrated around Christmas. Here we are. And for good reason. It speaks of the reason why Israel and we can have hope in the midst of deep darkness. And not the hope of subjective feelings. But the hope of objective reality. It's important for us to make a note here that Isaiah is a a poet. He's a prophet, but he is a poet. And he paints these word pictures that are meant to stick. Look again with me in verse 2 of Isaiah 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So here, Isaiah 9, Isaiah is speaking a prophetic announcement of what's to come. And is He's so confident in what he's saying that it's actually written in past tense as though it's already happened. Did you notice that? This nation, the nation of Israel was still under wicked rulers. They would still experience judgment, primarily expressed through exile. It was coming. But that's part of the beauty of this prophecy. This prophecy is written in the face of deep darkness. And that deep darkness could be really interpreted this way or defined this way like like shadows of death, distress. So he's saying this, that deep darkness, those dark shadows, it's not the end of your story. Local church St. Pete, the deep darkness that you face is not the end of your story. Those shadows of death that you face It's not the end of your story. It's right there, right there in the deep darkness of life. It's in the shadows of death and despair and isolation. When all around gives way, when it seems like the Lord is hiding his face from you, when the oppressor seems to have the upper hand, and when injustice seems to be winning, it's right there that God's voice breaks through. That's what's happening here in Isaiah 9. God's voice breaks through the prophet Isaiah, is breaking through in the face of deep darkness. And here's the announcement. A great light has shone. A great light has dawned, like the dawn of a new day. The darkness is giving away. The light, it comes with increased joy, like that at harvest time. 
It comes with the, the lifting of the yoke of burden and the breaking of the rod of the oppressor. We see that in verse 4. And in this poem, it takes a turn. Verse 6. For to us a child is born. Now wait a minute. What's a child doing in this scene? What does a child have to do with overthrowing oppression? For to us, to us, a child is born, Isaiah says. The child is a gift. But he's not just any child. Look what it says in verses 6 through 7. The government shall be on his shoulders. In other words, that rule will be on his shoulders His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Father, it speaks of his concern and his care. Prince of Peace. This child sounds invincible. There's good reason for that. Anyone with these titles, it would be understood this child is divine. This child is divine. It goes on to describe that there's no end to his rule and peace. He's in the line of King David On the throne of David and over his kingdom, promises were made to David that his throne would go on forever. How would that happen? Isaiah is saying, this child is how. He will establish and uphold a kingdom of justice and righteousness, not just for that time, but for for all time, forevermore. So the child is royalty. He's of royal descent. The child is divine. The child is of royal descent. And then in verse 7, Isaiah says, it's the zeal of the Lord, the zeal of Yahweh. It's the passionate commitment of the Lord because his love is stirred by the opposition you're under. It's the zeal of the Lord of hosts that will do this. In other words, listen, it's a done deal. It's happening. It's a sure thing. Now, we might sit back, though, and say, but how? How will the Lord accomplish this? Here's this ancient prophecy spoken in the face and in the midst of deep darkness. How will the Lord accomplish this? How will he bring this light in this child? And how do they relate to one another? So we have this ancient prophecy, a poetic announcement, this promise. How will this be fulfilled? Well, let's walk through some passages that help us understand the how. Go with me to Luke chapter 1. Gabriel, the angel, is making an announcement to Mary, the teenager. In Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, turn the page. Let's look at verse 76. 
Mary, after receiving this message, eventually makes her way to her relatives, Elizabeth and Zechariah. They are the parents of John the Baptist who would go before Jesus, announcing the way of the Lord in the desert. And after John was born, Zechariah sang a song, a prophetic song, and, and part, of, part of it said this, verse 76, and you, child, you, John, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. You know that, that new day, the dawn of a new day, the sunrise, well, it's here. Verse 79, to give light, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. John, this is the one you'll be preparing the way for. The one we've been waiting for. The light. Look in Luke chapter 2, and how the angels announce to lowly shepherds, minding their own business, watching their sheep, And out of nowhere, the sky lights up. And there's an angel who declares this in verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, gospel of great joy that will be for all people, not just for Israel, all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And finally, I want you to see the response of an old man waiting for the promises of God to come true. A man named Simeon who was waiting in Jerusalem at the temple and served the temple in some way, but believed that he would see the consolation of Israel before he died, the peace of Israel, the comfort of Israel. And and here's what he says in Luke 2, verse 29, as he's holding Jesus in his arms. Lord, Lord, now you are letting your servant Depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light. A light. Simeon is is pulling another fragment out of Isaiah, which we'll read later. And he's quoting it verbatim a light for revelation to the Gentiles, not just to the Jews, not just to Israel, to all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Now, we've only held up a fragment of Isaiah. There are many more. But the fragment we've held up in Isaiah 9 is bursting at the seams with promises that find their fulfillment in Jesus. A light for those in darkness. Let's look now at a light for you. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, 
beginning in verse 12, Jesus is launching into his public ministry. And it says, now when he heard, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region, in shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew draws a direct line from Isaiah 9 to Jesus. He quotes Isaiah 9. A light has dawned. The dawn of a new day, it's begun. Jesus is the light of Isaiah 9. Jesus is the child. He's the gift. He is the promise of Isaiah. And so it makes perfect sense that Jesus, at the launch of his ministry, would read the prophet Isaiah. The very first sermon that we know of that Jesus read or preached was rooted in the prophet Isaiah. Jesus had returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and he goes right to Nazareth, to his hometown, on the Sabbath day. He enters a synagogue. He's given the scroll of Isaiah. He opens it up, and here's what he reads. I want to read it together. Turn with me back to the Gospel of Luke, now to chapter 4, and we're going to read together what, what Jesus read on this day. He opens Isaiah, and he reads this, verse 18 of Luke 4, the spirit of Yahweh, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news, gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty, freedom to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. After he read that, he rolled the scroll back up hands it to the attendant, sits down, and then he said something so explosive that it continues to shake the world today. He said this, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And he dropped the mic. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, you know what he's saying? The day of salvation foretold by Isaiah the prophet, it has begun. The light has arrived. Now the poetic imagery of Isaiah 61, which is what Jesus read, the poetic imagery of Luke 4 verses 18 and 19, this poetic imagery should pull us in. It should make us want to shout. Kind of like a crowd that cheers on a superhero. I watch way too many Marvel movies in my home, okay? And too many times, over and over again. But what I've seen is you see this crowd gathered around that superhero when he comes in. We'll just take Spider-Man, okay? He's coming in. He starts fighting the, the big guy, you know, who's destroying the city. And what's crazy to me is that the crowds hang out to cheer on. I'd be running, but the crowds are cheering. And like these crowds that are cheering on the superhero, we should be reading this with just this growing desire to shout. And to cheer Jesus on because we all need deliverance. We all need it. We are all in desperate need of being set free. 
And what Jesus is saying here in reading Isaiah 61, and what he's saying is, imagine the the picture that's being painted is that of a dungeon, a deep, dark dungeon in which we are all bound, and he's coming, and he's not just talking to us through the bars. He's taking the door off the hinges, and he's saying, come out. Be free. That's why I'm here. Everyone here today has experienced the bondage of deep darkness. Everyone. We have it in common. Everyone here today has experienced the deep darkness of sin and shame and brokenness and corruption. All of us. We are the poor. We are the captives. We are the blind. We are in need of healing and forgiveness. And it comes through Christ. This is the dawn of that new day that Isaiah spoke about. The long night is over. But no one was cheering Jesus on that day. No one was cheering Jesus on that day. In fact, as you continue to read Luke 4, he describes God's favor on those who were not Israel, on Gentiles. And it really makes the crowd mad, and they want to kill him. They couldn't accept it. They couldn't accept the reach of God's favor and grace. They didn't believe it. I love the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis. Read those books to my kids. They're not just children's books, you know. But I love the book, The Silver Chair. It's one of my favorite. I hope I get it right, but as I recall, the Queen of Underland was trying to cast a spell on Prince Rillian and his friends, Jill, Scrub, and Puddleglum. And she was trying to keep them from believing that there ever was what they called an overworld, a Narnia, a sky and a sun. They had been in underworld for so long, underland for so long, that this queen of underland was trying to convince them that there never was an overworld. And she strummed away on a stringed instrument, and she lit incense, and she was saying things like, it's all a dream. There never was such a world. What is that sun that you speak of? And Prince Rillian replied, oh, you see that lamp over there? It's round and yellow, and it gives light to the whole room. Well, the thing we call the sun is like the lamp, only far, far greater and brighter. It gives light to the whole overworld and hangs in the sky. Hangs from what, she said. Your sun is a dream, and there's nothing in that dream that was not copied from the lamp. The lamp is the real thing. The sun is but a tale. It's a children's story as she strummed on her instrument. Now, what happened to Prince Rillian and Puddleglum and Scrub and Jill? Well, you'll have to read to find out. Maybe, though, you're struggling to believe the light spoken by Isaiah is is in anything more than a dream. On the level of a, a fairy tale, maybe it feels too good to be true. There is an old lie that's been whispered into our ears, into our ancestors' ears, ever since the dawn of humanity, Genesis 3. What was whispered into the ears of Adam and Eve? God doesn't love you. He's not looking out for your best interest. You'd be better off out from under his authority. You cannot trust him. And it's a lie that we continue to wrestle with, tempted to believe and buy into. 
we need to hear the voice. We need to hear the voice of the Lord that breaks through the lies. We need to hear the voice that in the face of deep darkness speaks a message of hope and truth. I want you to hear Jesus' voice. We've heard Isaiah. I want you to hear from Jesus. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In John 12, verse 46, Jesus says, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Jesus is the light. You don't have to stay in darkness. You do not have to stay in darkness. No matter what you've done, no matter what your past, you do not have to stay in darkness. I want you to hear what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul wrote this. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, where? 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 In the face of Jesus Christ. He has given us the light of the knowledge of the glory, the worth, the beauty of God in the face of Jesus Christ. On the cross, Jesus became deep darkness for you and me. On the cross, Jesus became sin. Mystery of all mysteries. On the cross, Jesus became deep darkness. He experienced deep darkness for you and me. The light of the world became sin for us and received upon himself the Father's righteous judgment for our sins. Jesus stepped into our deep darkness. He endured it, right? He took it on. So that you and I could walk in the light. So that you and I could experience the dawn of a new day. So that we could walk free. Truly free. This light is for you. This light is for you. And so like a child holding the hand of his father as you walk down a dark path, you are invited to hold on to Jesus, to the one who stepped into your darkness, and to the one who goes before you. We We are invited out of that prison cell. The light has dawned. It's a light for you. It's not only for you, though. And that's where we go next. It's a light for the nations. Isaiah, if we held up another fragment of Isaiah, we should. Isaiah 49, verse 6. It says this, It is too light a thing That you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Isaiah 49 verse 6 is saying this. It is too small a thing for Jesus to be the light of one nation. It is too small a thing for Jesus to be the light just for us, just for you and I. No, no, no. The reach of God's love and grace in Christ is worldwide. It's worldwide. Isaiah 9, verse 7, speaks of it this way. Of the increase of his government, of his rule and peace, 
there will be no end. No end. No end in sight. And so the prophetic word of Isaiah is still finding fulfillment today. How? Well, through you. Now we, the church, share in this. Holding up the light for all the world to see. Holding up the beauty of who Jesus is. In the face of deep darkness. Listen, some of you will be sent to the nations to proclaim the light. To proclaim the light of the nations. Some of you will be sent from us to places that have little or no gospel representation. And and we should be desirous of that. That some of us will go places that most of us cannot go. We want that to happen. At the same time, the nations, the nations, they start with this nation. And this nation starts with this city. And this city starts with your neighborhood, your family, your coworkers, your friends. It's too small a thing for Jesus to be a light simply to Israel. And that was never God's plan. Well, you heard Jesus himself. I'm the light of the world. Now, we've explored a fragment, and it tells a grand story, doesn't it? A story of light in a land of deep darkness. And I know where we are right now. I know what year it is. Won't be for long. It's 2020. And I know how you can feel, or you might feel, I should say. You might feel like you're in a land of deep darkness. You might feel completely isolated and afraid. All of us have gone through up and down emotions about how this year has gone. God has broken through a deeper darkness than 2020. God has broken through a deeper darkness than a pandemic. God has broken through the deep darkness of our rebellion and our sin and shame. And he's done it through Christ. And so I have faith that he can, in the midst of this craze, in the midst of this darkness, speak hope and life to us and remind us of a light that cannot be overcome, regardless of what we face, regardless of what next week, next month, or next year holds. And so we we hold on to this light, this beautiful light that is Christ. It's an ancient prophecy. Isaiah 9 is a poetic announcement. A message of freedom and deliverance and joy. And that is what Christmas is all about. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. For to us a child is born. And we thank you for the reality of what he has done for us becoming sin for us, stepping into our deep darkness, bringing light, bringing freedom. Would you help us? Would you you help us to remember that? Would you help us to celebrate that? Would you help us to be filled with joy because of that, regardless of what comes our way, regardless of our circumstances? That doesn't change, and your light cannot be dimmed. Lord, if if anyone is here today that has not put their faith and trust in Jesus as Savior, as the light of the world, and, and bowed their lives 
to him, Lord, would you do that in hearts right now? And for those of us who have put our trust in in Christ and we're running this race, we're walking out our faith, Lord, help us to see you've called us to walk in the light. And you've called us to hold up that light. Help us to do it faithfully. Help us to see it as the great privilege and joy that it really is. In Christ's name.